Good morning. If we could find our seats, we'll get started this morning. I, I find it ironic that I am interrupting fellowship to talk about fellowship this morning. I am glad our church likes each other. Sometimes it's hard to get you guys to stop talking. So That's a good thing, not a bad thing. If you would, turn with me to 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 5, and um, I just want to share how excited I am that Stephanie's here with us, um, one of our cross-cultural workers. Um, again, that's our, the terminology we want to get familiar with. When we call someone a worker, a cross-cultural worker, we mean missionary, but I think that is uh, a safer way of, of protecting our missionaries that are in um, some dangerous parts of the world. So cross-cultural worker is here, and to have the Hoisingtons just brings a lot of joy to me. So um, make sure you say hi to them and welcome them and thank them for being a part of, of us this morning. So First John chapter 1, verse 5. If you would read along with me. Verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him, and we proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and, and do not practice the truth. But, we've, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Would you pray with me as we get started this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you uh, for who you are, Lord, and, and the grace that you offer us, God. The grace that you offer us as even Christians, Lord, that, that our sins were paid for. As soon as we, we put our faith in, in you, Lord, our past, present, and future sins were paid for, Yet we know we can continuously go to you and ask for forgiveness, Lord, because of that. That you are a God of mercy and grace, Lord. You're also a God of light. I pray that we don't forget that, Lord, as we talk about your love, your mercy and grace, that you are a God of light, a God that is holy, a God that is just, a God that is truth. So be with this morning, Lord, as we go over this passage. In your son's name, amen. Last week we had an introduction of 1 John, and we said that 1 John, the Apostle John, wrote 1 John. It was written because there was false teachers in the church. There was false teachers threatening the church, leading people astray, as we will see. These false teachers are probably Gnostics, as we said last week. And these false teachers, these Gnostics, were causing the true Christian, the true believers, to question their salvation. And so 1 John 5.13, John gives the reason he, he, he wrote this epistle. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I, I am writing to you that you may know, have confidence that you have eternal life. And in this, there's, there's a threefold theme that those that are saved are born again and the Holy Spirit is within them and the, the work of the Spirit of God will produce three things in a, in a believer. The three things we see over and over and over again in this, in this epistle is a correct understanding 
of who Jesus is, a deep desire to keep God's law, to, 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 to pursue righteousness, and a deep desire for love, especially love of the brethren, love of those that are part of the church. So we see this theme over and over and over again in John. And last week we talked about the first four verses, which was kind of an introduction to the epistle. And it was John appealing to his apostolic authority in a very strong fashion. Saying, we, us apostles, have heard, we have seen, we have touched Jesus. And now we proclaim him to you. This week we're going to look at three points. The three points are that God is light, or the light of God. The second point is those walking in the darkness. And the third point is those walking in the light. It's the light of God, those, those walking in the darkness, and those walking in the light. So let's start with the light of God. Verse 5 says this, This is the message we are, are, uh, have heard from him and we proclaim to you. Again, remember last week. We, this is an exclusive we here. In other words, John is saying, we, not you. Remember, look what it says. It says, we have heard him, and we proclaim it to you. And we, not you. We learned last week that the we that, that is here is the apostles. John is saying, we, the apostles, have heard this message from him, from Jesus, personally. And, and we now proclaim this message to you, the church. And here's the message. That God is light. Isn't that simple? It's, a, it's like the summation of what they heard from Jesus. It's just, God is light. This is what we heard from Jesus. and This is the message we heard. What does it mean that God is light? Well, let's start with what it doesn't mean. And I just want to be clear. It doesn't literally mean God is light or the reverse of that, that light is God. John is describing God in an analogical way. And He's using human language, in other words, or a creative thing to help us understand the character of God. He's saying in certain ways God's character is like light. So let's brainstorm real quick. What, what does light do? First service, a lot of people started speaking at once. I didn't, I didn't hear a thing. Usually first service is a quiet service. Just say, no, I was expecting something, but... Let me brainstorm. I'll brainstorm for you. How about that? Right? Light illuminates things, right? It helps us see. Enables vision. Right? It produces growth. Think of sunlight. Right? It, it, it produces growth within plants. It reveals beauty. It also reveals blemishes. It guides travelers. I mean, think of your car, if you're, especially in Tehachapi. If you turn off your headlights, you're going to get in a car accident very quickly. You're not going to see where you're going. It warms the earth. Think about this one. It destroys, or maybe a better word than destroys, it overwhelms darkness. If you're in a dark room and you turn on light, darkness is gone. Light wins. I just think that's interesting. I was, uh, I was in a cave in Keynes Canyon. We know that cave's over there. And we went all pretty far in the cave, and, and they have lights that are through the cave, and they just wanted to show us how dark it gets. Those lights weren't on, so they had us all sit down so we wouldn't get hurt, and they turned off the lights, and it was pitch black. But then I forgot I had a, a glow-in-the-dark watch, and that, that little bit of light shines so bright. It's overpowering. I had to hide it. 
Light overwhelms darkness. Biblically, light typically refers to two things when it comes to God. In the Old and New Testament, it typically means two things. The first is that God reveals. God reveals. He reveals intellectually, right? Light illuminates. It helps us see. It reveals truth. On the other side of that, darkness is is misunderstandings or lies or, or errors or deception. Darkness hides things. So God reveals. The second thing that light typically means in the Bible is that God is holy, moral. He's pure. Light represents a purity and holiness of God, and darkness represents evil. And these two meanings, I believe, go hand in hand. Philosophically, truth and goodness go hand in hand. And where you have deception and darkness, there's evil. And it fits the context of our passage this morning. When John is re- says light, I, I believe he's referring to, to two things. He's referring to both the, uh, uh, that God reveals, he exposes. Right? He exposes lies and deception. And also re- it refers to God being holy, morally perfect. It's a dual meaning behind God is light. So let's look at verse 5 again. It says this, verse 5, This is the message we have heard from him, and we proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. In the Greek, there's actually a double negative there, which works differently than, than the double negatives in English. In Greek, if there's a double neg- negative, he's, the, the author is trying to emphasize something. It's like saying, no darkness, none. That's why that at all there, it's not in the Greek. It's, it's helping you see the, the, the English way. That it, it, in him there is no darkness at all. Means God doesn't associate, he doesn't fellowship with lies and deception. God doesn't associate, he doesn't fellowship with sin and evil at all. Maybe a side note is, we can go, I think it's significant that John starts here. This is where he starts. Right? God's, uh, John starts with God. Look what he says. This is the message we have heard from, from him, from Jesus, and we proclaim to you, God. And not just that, God is light. He starts with the holiness of God. Our culture, I believe, only emphasizes one characteristic of God. If you just look at the, the, the culture as a whole, you know, especially popular Christianity, we, we, we emphasize only one characteristic of God, and that is God is love. God is love. I mean, if you get your theology from Christian radio, that might be the only thing you know. Right? God is love. Let me give you an example of this, because I was like, am I the only one that, that sees this? Am I, it just seems like every message, popular message from Christianity or just secular world is God is love. So I Google searched it. I Google search God is love, and then I Google search God is holy. I got 1.5 billion more hits for God is love than holy. Sometimes I think popular Christianity only has two verses memorized, and that's, of course, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And the second one is 1 John 4.16. It's not even the whole verse or the context of the verse. It's just purely God is love. Don't get me wrong, and I want to be clear this morning. 
God is love. And we get that from this epistle, ironically. John is called the apostle of love often, and this epistle is often called the epistle of love. That's why we picked first John as elders. We, we wanted to focus in this season as a church at COBC on fellowship, brotherly love. But that's not where John starts. He starts with God is light. God is truth. God is holy. And that light shines like the sun. You know what's crazy about this is John knows this firsthand, right? Remember, John starts off by saying, we have seen, we have heard, we have experienced. Well, turn with me to to Matthew 17. Matthew 17, verse 1. Here's why I'm so afraid and why I I talk about this often, and I hope you guys don't get me wrong. God is love, and why you guys are turning there. God is love, and I want to proclaim that as much as I can. But if we don't give context to what that means, we're going to fill it in, the culture's going to fill in what love means, and our culture has a wrong understanding of love. So we need to start with God is holy. Look at verse 1. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and... John, the author of this epistle, first-hand experience, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. In other words, Jesus, Jesus gave a glimpse to these three apostles, the inner circle, Peter, James, and the author of our epistle, John, a glimpse of his glory and holiness, and they couldn't even look at him. You can imagine if his face, who was standing right there, shone like the sun, it would be like the sun being right here. And his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him, and Peter and, and to Jesus, or, and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Right, the Gospel of Mark, and I want to remind you, the Gospel of Mark is really Peter's Gospel. Mark gets all of his information from Peter. And, and what Mark says through Peter was that Peter said this because he was terrified. And of course, when Peter gets scared or anything else, he opens his mouth, right? And so he starts speaking. In verse 5, he was still speaking. He doesn't stop. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Think about that. A cloud so bright, it overshadowed Jesus, whose face was like the sun standing right there. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son, who I am well pleased. Listen to him. And the disciples heard this. They fell on their faces and were terrified. Listen, every time, every single time, man sees God's light, his holiness, always, 100% of the time, there's fear and terror. There's fear and terror because we are sinners. We are darkness. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And light destroys darkness. Well, where's the love of God? 
Look at verse 7. But Jesus came. Let me just start there. Jesus acted. Picture this, okay? Uh, These disciples, these three men, are on the ground in a ball, terrified, with their face dug into the dirt. They weren't moving. Jesus came and touched them. Isn't that beautiful? Saying, rise and have no fear. Rise and have no fear. Why? Why? Because I'm going to the cross. Listen, your sins will be forgiven. That's the love of God. God is love. Look at verse 8. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Isn't that beautiful? It starts with God is light. Then it moves to, to terror and fear because we are darkness. Then we finally see God is love. Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. Turn with me to Revelations 1, 12. Revelations 1, 12. I remind you that, that John, the same author of 1 John, wrote Revelation And it starts off in, in verse 12 saying, Then I, so who's the I? It's John. This is John's experience. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. He's having this vision. And we don't know exactly what, what that is, but he's having some kind of vision that is so real, right? And there's this voice that's speaking to him. And turning to, to see the voice that, that's speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man. Who's that? Jesus. The name that's used by Jesus for himself more than any other name. Clothed with a long robe and with a, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in the furnace. And a voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he had seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. God is light. Like the sun shining at full strength. And what's John's reaction? The same. Verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Just terror, fear. First John 1 John 1.5 says, God is light and in him no darkness at all. Look at John's reaction. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Right? I mean, the, the, the light of God is scary to sinners. Because light destroys darkness. But look at verse 14, 17. But he laid his right hand on me. Again, Jesus moves. He touches. He lays his right hand on me saying, fear not. That is love. Fear not, Jesus says. Why? Because I paid for your sins, John. I paid for your sins. Your sins are forgiven, John. I want to be honest this morning. 
you don't know Jesus, listen, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you should be terrified. You should be terrified. And if you're saying, well, Jesus is not that scary. I'm not terrified here. Let me be clear. When you see Jesus, you will be terrified. Because God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. But here's the good news. God is also love. He is also love, and in his love, he sent his son to die on the cross in your place, to take on your punishment, to become darkness for you. But that's only if you've put your faith in him. If you're not saved this morning, or if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, with God, if you, if you don't have fellowship with God, put your faith in him this morning. Now, admit that you're a sinner. Turn to him for salvation. Right now, in your heart, God can hear you. Right? Pray to him in your heart. Jesus came and lived a perfect, perfect life. He died on the cross for us to take our place. On the third day, he was raised from the dead, and he's at the Father's right hand right now, interceding for those that have faith in him. Trust him this morning. Listen, turn to him. Listen, run to him for forgiveness. Turn back with me to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. Right, this is a message we claim to you that, that, that God is light. Verse 6 says this, If we say we have fellowship with him while, walk, while we walk in darkness, I mean, just think about that. That doesn't make any sense. If God is light and we say we have fellowship with light, but we're walking in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Look at verse 6 again. It, it says, if we say. I want to be clear here. John switches from an exclusive we to an inclusive we. Verses 1 through 5, it's an exclusive we, meaning we, not you. We, us apostles, and not you. We, we are in an exclusive club here. Right? He starts this, this, this epistle this way because he's, he's fighting against false teachers. He's saying, hey, those false teachers aren't apostles. We are. We have heard. We have seen. We, we were with Jesus for three years. He's appealing to his apostolic authority. But in verse 6, he switches into an inclusive we, meaning we all of us, us apostles and the church, we, all of us. This is what John Stott writes about this. The, the we-you relationship of the apostle to his readers seen in the first five verses has faded. John now humbly identifies himself with the church. Naturally, he is not suggesting that he has ever himself said or thought the errors he's rebutting, but he is using the first-person uh, First person plural or first person plural pronoun because he is giving a general principle which applies to all people equally, even himself an apostle. Side note, and I think this is just important to point out, I'm amazed by the apostles' humility, right? After the cross, after the gospels. I mean, these are special blessed men. These are special blessed men. John firsthand saw the light of God. Is there in the Mount of Transfiguration. It's amazing. They firsthand experienced Jesus. Verse 1 says, they heard, they saw, they looked upon a deep, intimate gaze. 
they touched. They were personally taught by Jesus himself in person for three years. Then, not only that, and this is where we get mixed up, I believe, as a church at whole, then Jesus himself passes down his authority. In the book of Acts, he passes down his authority to them so that they could do miracles like Jesus did. And not, I mean, don't get me wrong. I believe that people get healed praying over them. That's not what I'm saying. What we do is we appeal to God's authority by praying for someone to be healed. God, with your authority, heal these people. You know what the apostles did? Be healed. They were given that authority to go around and say, you're healed. These were blessed men. And they, and, and they were given that so that you know when they spoke, they were speaking with the authority of God. That's why the red letters and black letters are equal. Red letters, again, like I said last week, were written by apostles anyways. They spoke with the authority of Jesus. And they were not afraid to appeal to the apostolic authority. Paul does it all the time. Peter does it. John just did it in the first four verses. But here's what amazes me. They also very quickly will remind you, hey, we're just men. We're just men. Saved by grace like everyone else. Paul even says he's the chief among sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full of acceptance that, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. The King James Version says, of whom I am chief first. This models godly leadership. This models godly leadership. They are men of conviction. They understood their responsibility. They understood their authority, where it began and where it ended. They understood biblical truths and had convictions about them. And we live in a convictionless culture. We need to find godly leaders, and you need to be a godly leader that has conviction. These were men with conviction, yet at the same time humble. Humble. We are just men. Sinners saved by grace like everyone else. That's the type of leadership we need in the church. Look at verse 6 again. If we say, right, he's including himself here. If we say, and this is a conditional clause, it's an if-then statement. Right? If we say this, then this. And there's actually five um, conditional clauses in, in these next verses. Look at verse 6. It says, if we say, then verse 7, but if we walk. Verse 8, if we say. Verse 9, if we confess. Verse 10, if we say. In Greek, these are all third um, class conditional clauses, which is, you don't need to know what that means. But I want to be very clear that there's three types of, of clauses, conditional clauses in Greek, and, and it's very helpful for us because the author makes it very clear what he's saying here. This is a third-class conditional clause, meaning it's a, it's a hypothetical situation. John's saying, hey, if we say, right, hypothetically, or let's just say, if, if I say this, you get, do you get that it's a hypothetical situation? And he's addressing the false claims that are being made by these false teachers. He's saying, hypothetically, if I say or if we say, then this is the truth that, that comes with it. Then this. Right? And there's a back and forth in these verses. Look at, look at 
verse 6, 8, and 10 are all connected. They're all negative. They're, they're those that are walking in the dark. Right? It, and they all start the same way even. It says, if we say, if we say, if we say, and these are all sayings that these false teachers were saying. Right? We're in the dark then. That's what John's saying. If we say this, then we're in the dark. Verses 7 and 9 are connected. They're positive statements. These are those that are walking in the light. If we walk, if we confess, then we're in the light. I want you to hear this back and forth. So let me just read these verses together. Verse 6 says this. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Did you see the back and forth there? I think it would be helpful to separate them. Okay, John is doing a compare and contrast. You actually see this a couple places in Scripture. Peter, or Paul does it. He's saying this, then this, then this, then this. So you can see the, the comparison of the two, two sides here, the, those in the darkness and those in the light. But, but to get what he's getting at, I think it will be helpful to separate them. So I want to separate verses 6, 8, and 10. It's helpful that they're all uh, even numbers. Um, the negatives, those that are walking in the darkness, and, and talk about that, those that are walking in the darkness. And then we're going to come to seven, verses eight, 7 and 9, if I can say the right verses. The odds, the positive, those that are walking in the light. Let me remind you before we start talking about this why John wrote First John. It's probably against Gnostics. Right? And here's the claim of Gnostics. Right? They believed they were saved, that they were in fellowship with God. Yet they also believed they had absolutely no sin, that they were sinless, spiritually pure. Yet they did whatever they wanted to do with their physical bodies because they said it doesn't matter. Physical is evil, and you can do whatever you want with it. So they lived impure lives. Hedonistic. So they claimed to be sinless, yet they lived very sinful lives. This is who John is talking about, especially in the negatives. So let's look at verses 6, 8, and 10, the negatives. Those walking in the dark. John gives us two signs that you're walking in the dark. The first sign is this, that they live immoral lives. Verse 6 says this, If we say we have fellowship with him, this is God, right? If we have fellowship with him, remember, who is light, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. I want to go back to, to verse 3 because this is where he's pulling off of um, listen to what it says. That, that, which is, uh, that which we have heard, sorry, that which we have seen and heard, right, this is Jesus' message, we proclaim also to you so that, this is the reason we proclaim this message, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, verse 3, John equates salvation to fellowship, specifically fellowship with, with the Father and Jesus so look at verse 6 again. If we say we have fellowship, if we say we have fellowship with God, in other words, if we say we have fellowship or, or we're saved, if we say we have fellowship with him, 
While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We lie. We don't have fellowship with God. How can you walk in darkness and have fellowship with light? It doesn't make sense. Well, let's look at this because I want to be very clear on this. Okay, so stick with me. And by the time we get through this, I, I, I hope there's a clear understanding of exactly what John is saying here. What he says is walk in darkness. It's very important. Walk in darkness. That word walk is referring to a, a manner of life or conduct. Therefore, walking in darkness is, is a life characterized by darkness. And darkness here, of course, is morality. It's someone who continuously right, walks with darkness, evil, impurity, immorality, sin. It's someone that pursues, seeks out, continuously practice evil deeds. If they do this and claim to be in fellowship with God who is light, they lie and do not practice the truth. First John is super clear about this. First John 3, 9 says this, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. This is what John MacArthur says, and I, I just think this quote sums it up really well. Believers possessing God's life are, and, are now, er, and are new creations in Christ made for good works and have the indwelling Holy Spirit in them, thus they cannot ignore the, the existence of personal iniquities or sins and walk in darkness. No matter what anyone claims for himself, the genuineness of his faith can always be seen in one's life by the love of righteousness. It doesn't mean we're perfect. That's not what this is saying. It means we have hearts that are changed by God, and we have the Holy Spirit that builds in that heart a love for righteousness, a desire for righteousness. Therefore, the first sign that someone is not truly saved is that person walks in darkness, meaning they continually practice and seek out immorality. They don't have a love for righteousness. Again, it doesn't mean that we're sinless. It's a desire. It's a pursuit. The second sign that someone walks in darkness and is not saved is that they claim to be sinless. This is like the other side of the coin, right? They claim to be sinless. Look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. What's the difference between the if statements there? That's a question we should ask. Because look, they sound very similar. If we say we have no sin, and then verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned, there's a slight difference there, and that's because in Greek, uh, verse 8 is, is the uh, present tense. If we say we have no sin in the present tense, meaning we don't have sin now. We're not sinning now in our, in our daily lives now. Verse 10 is in the perfect tense. It says, if we say we have not sinned, the perfect tense in Greek is something, this is, this is important to grasp, it's something that has happened in the past that affects the present. 
It's something that happened in the past that affects the present. So it could mean this person's claiming that they have never sinned. I don't think that's what it, that this, is, this is saying. It, it probably means there was some experience in the past that has made them sinless to this point. There was some experience in the past that has made them sinless, and they're still sinless right now. It's affected to the future. This fits Gnosticism, right? Who, who believed once you gain the secret knowledge, that's where you get the word Gnostic from, the Greek word for knowledge. Once you gain the secret knowledge, from that point on, you transcend sin. Nothing you do with your physical body counts as sin, and you're sinless from that point on after you get the sacred knowledge. Look at what verse 8 says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We're really clear. It says we deceive ourselves. Who's acting in that verb? We are deceiving ourselves. The person is, is deceiving, right, is deceived, but they're not off the hook, in other words. Because they have deceived themselves, meaning they are accountable, responsible for their own deception. It's a, it's a self-deception. It's not a simple mistake. It's not a simple misunderstanding. It's an intentional deception. It's, it's Romans 1 and an intentional suppression of the truth. Romans 1.18, by their unrighteousness, they actively suppress the truth. Therefore, they're responsible. But John takes us one step further. Look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We make him a liar. Why? Well, it denies a major premise of God's word. We are sinners. If we say we have not sinned, again, that's perfect tense, meaning something happened in the past that made us sinless up to this point to the future. It's interesting. In, in, in the modern history of the church in America, there's a movement called the Holiness Churches in the late 1800s, the early 20th century. It's still somewhat around today, but not as popular as it was. That taught there was a second work of God after salvation. You were saved, but then there was a second work of God, a second blessing, they called it, or a second work of grace, or sometimes they called it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some mystical event that happens, some second work of God that enabled a Christian to be completely perfect, a sinless state from that point on. This heretical teaching was made popular in America by a, um, the teaching of Charles Finney, where he claimed a second work of, of, of God enabled the Christian to be perfect because the old man of sin was dead. I kind of have a, a funny story about this. Um, this may or may not be true. Just want to be clear. It is said, may or may not be true, it is said that a man who claimed this perfectionism once confronted Charles Spurgeon, the great British Baptist preacher. Intrigued, the preacher invited this man home for dinner. After hearing his claims, Spurgeon arose from his chair, picked up a glass of water, and threw it across the man's face. Immediately, this perfect man caused quite a scene, allowing his anger and language to cross the line of civility, to which Spurgeon replied, Ah, you see, the old man within is not as dead as you claim. He, he simply fainted, and I have revived him with but a glass of water. Right. 
But John takes this serious. Look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We make him a liar. Look, I'm convinced anyone that claims perfection does two things. First, they downplay the ugliness of their sins, especially, especially in the area of motives. And second, they lower the standard of God's holiness. And by doing this, they make God a liar because God emphasizes two things, the heights of his holiness and the depths of our sin. If we make God a liar, his word is not in us. Those are the two signs that someone is walking in the darkness. Now let's look at the two positive, right? Verses 7 and 9, those that are walking in the light. John gives us two signs of walking in the light. The first sign is this. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I think this is interesting. Remember, John is going back and forth. He's contrasting things. Look at verse 6, because that's what he's contrasting verse 7 with. In verse 6, it says, If we say we have fellowship with him, who's the him? Jesus. Specifically God, actually, if you look at the context here, but Jesus and God. If we say we have fellowship with him, God is light, remember? We have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness. Well, now look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light, this is the opposite. As he is in the light, we have fellowship. What do you think it should say there? With God. But it doesn't. What's it say? With one another. But we, If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. John does this a lot. He, he sets you up where you think he's going to say something, and he puts something else there to make a point. What's the point? Well, here's what I think. It's easy to fool ourselves into thinking that we have a relationship with God. It's easy to fool ourselves to think we have a relationship with God. The Gnostics believed it. The Pharisees believed it, that they had a relationship with God. If you ask the average America, American in, in America, they would say they have a fellowship with God. They have a relationship with God. We think of all the athletes, movie stars, gang members that have cross tattoos, as we're talking about punk rock bands with crosses on there. They all think they have a relationship with God. John is saying, prove to me you have a relationship with God by your fellowship with one another. It's harder to love one another. It's evidence, I believe, of a relationship with God, how we love one another. Again, evidence. I think you see this throughout Scripture. Again, James 3, 9, we preached on a while ago. With it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the, the likeness of God. It doesn't make any sense. This is, how can we say we love God and then curse his image? Man's made in the image of God, his intellect, his reasoning, his, his moral nature, his motion, his will, his creativity. But this is especially true for Christians. Christians are born again into the likeness of Christ, and they have the Holy Spirit living within them. They have God himself living within them. How can you, how can you bless God and curse his image? That makes no sense. In the same way, how can you say you love God while not loving Christians? It makes no sense. For the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. 
doesn't make any sense. The same is true here. You claim to be Christian, yet, yet don't want to have any desire to fellowship with the church? Like Jesus loves the church. Is that not right? What is the church? The bride of Christ. You better believe Jesus loves his bride. So much so that he went to the cross for her to die for her so her sins could be forgiven. How are you going to say, I have fellowship with Jesus, but I want nothing to do with the church? Doesn't make any sense. Listen, brotherly love is loving what Jesus loves. Brotherly love is loving what Jesus loves. It's a sign you are truly in fellowship with God. It's a sign, again, a sign that you're walking in light. It's a sign that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Look at verse 7. It's interesting. Verse 7 says, "But, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Cleanses us from all sin. It's interesting that the cleanses us is in the present tense. It's not cleansed us meaning this is a continual process. John here is making it clear that he's talking about sanctification, not justification. In justification, when you put your faith in Christ, you are saved from the penalty of sin. You are cleansed, past tense, from the penalty of sin. You are declared righteous. The penalty, the wages of sins are paid for. It's an imputed righteousness, though. Or theologians say an alien righteousness because it's not our righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness that's, that's imputed to us. In sanctification, you are being saved from the power of sin. It's a process. As soon as you put your faith in, in Christ, you start sanctification. You, you start becoming more and more like Christ. It's a slow moving towards Christ-likeness. It's a slow move towards holiness and righteousness. But this leads to a trouble, troubling question, and this troubled me when I was reading this. If Christians aren't sinless, right? again, he makes that very clear. If you claim to be sinless, you, 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 the truth is not in you. You're not a Christian. Christians aren't sinless. How can we have fellowship with God who is light? Who is holy? Well, this leads to the second sign that, that someone is saved that someone is walking in the light. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verses 7 and 9 go together. Those that walk in the light confess their sins. They expose their sins to the light. Walking in the light doesn't mean we're sinless. I want to be so clear on this. It doesn't mean we're sinless. It means we expose our sins. We confess our sins. We don't cover up our sins. Remember the dual meaning of light. It means holiness and reveals. Therefore, to walk in the light is to reveal our, our failures. To walk in the darkness is to ignore, to hide, to deny sin. I want to be clear on this. 
because I don't want people to be confused. If you, if you mix up justification and sanctification, you're in heresy. That's how important this is. Those that walk in the light, those that have put their faith in Christ and are fellowship with God, those that walk in the light do two things. They pursue holiness. They're not perfect. They pursue holiness. They pursue righteousness. But when they fail, they are willing to expose their sins to the light by confessing. Because, look at verse 9 again. If we confess our sins, he, this is God, he is, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is what one commentator said about this. Walking in the light means exposing our sins. And when we expose our sins, the only way forward is to cling to the cross. As Christians, we need the ongoing benefits of God's or Jesus' atoning death. Let me be clear. Jesus' death, when you put your faith in him, his death covered all past, present, and future sins right then. Therefore, we can have confidence to go to God when we sin and confess because we know they're forgiven. Because he is faithful and just. We're going to talk about that word just next week. It's an interesting word to throw in there. He's faithful and just, not merciful. You would think merciful there again. John, John puts a word that you wouldn't expect. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Why just? We'll talk about that next week. But I want to end this sermon with a few application points. God is light. It's the first application point. God is light, and that comes before God is love. It gives context to what we mean by God is love. Our culture has a, has a misunderstanding of love, an unbiblical understanding of love. So if you just say God is love, they're going to interpret it the way they, that they think love is. That's a wrong interpretation. It's not scripture. It's not what John means by God is love. So you have to start in our culture with God is light. He is holy. And then move to God is love. And that's how you should share the gospel. Start with God. God is holy, and we are not. Then move to God is love. Second application point. If you claim to be a Christian, and I say this, I don't say it lightly, I should say. I don't say this lightly. So listen carefully. If you claim to be a Christian this morning, if you're sitting in here, and you claim to be a Christian, yet you are walking in darkness, you should question your salvation. And walking in darkness. Not that you've sinned, but you are continuously pursuing evil, impurity. You should question yourself. And I don't say this lightly. Remember 1 John 5, 13 says, I write these things to you that, that who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And the purpose of 1 John is that we know we have salvation. But if you're walking in darkness continuously in impurity, you don't know. If you, if you don't have a desire for righteousness, listen, if you're in sin this morning, two things. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent, turn from your sin and turn to Christ and believe, have faith in what he has done on the cross for your sins. Third application point. If you're a Christian this morning and you sin, 
you're a Christian this morning and you sin, listen, confess your sin to God. Expose your sin to the light and don't hide it. If needed, confess your sin to man if you need to ask for forgiveness because you've sinned against someone. Because, and this is joyous, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this leads us to the fourth application point. If you claim to be a Christian but don't want to uh, have fellowship with the church, if you claim to be a Christian and don't want to have fellowship with the church, the bride of Christ... That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Pursue a deep fellowship within the church. And I'm talking about the local church. I'm talking about COBC. One of the best ways of doing this, as I said last week, is to get involved with a smaller group of people here. And it's hard to come Sunday morning and, and, and fellowship deeply in the 90 minutes that we're here going on past 90 minutes, sorry. Um... Therefore, you have to intentionally find a smaller group of people to fellowship with. There's, it's not bad that we come together, right? We said there's three things we like to see in our church. Worship, grow, and serve. Worship, a lifestyle of worship, but corporate worship, meaning we come together with common beliefs to hear the word of God, to sing the word of God, to pray the word of God together. We also want you to grow in a smaller group, a smaller setting, where you can grow deep with people, deep fellowship. And, of course, we want you to serve, serve the body I want to ask the elders, if elders, if whoever's an elder is here this morning, if you could come up to the front. These are your elders. You have Ross, Mike, Matt, Craig, and, and Will. Um, I want to encourage you and invite you. I gave the gospel message earlier. If you put your faith in Christ this morning, or if you want to learn more about that, be bold and come up and talk with one of these pastors this morning. They love you, and they would love to share more about what that means, what you did, or how to put your faith in Christ if you haven't, or what the gospel message is that's being proclaimed. Be bold and come forward and talk to one of these guys. And I just encourage the church body, if you just need some prayer this morning, if you're struggling with something, these are your pastors. Come talk with them and pray with them. They'll pray over you. With that said, let me pray, and we'll be done this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for who you are, Lord, and what you're doing in this church, Lord. I pray again, as I prayed last week, for deep fellowship, Lord, a love for one another, Lord. I also pray, as, as the purpose of 1 John is that, that this morning, for those that, that are pursuing holiness and expose their sins when they fail, and we fail often, Lord, that we have a confidence that we're saved because it's not our works that saves us. It's what you've done on the cross, and therefore we can have confidence because of you, not us. But at the same time, if, if people are walking in the darkness, we're continuously seeking out evil and, and not repenting from that, Lord. I pray that they, they get in a right relationship with you right now, Lord, in this morning. Be with us, God. Be with us as we continue to go through First John. And I thank you for who you are and what you're doing with this body. In your son's name, amen.